Hello everyone and welcome to The Avatar Returns, The Return. 25 years after our shocking series finale cliffhanger, we're back with 18 new episodes of needlessly obtuse, indulgent autourism designed specifically to alienate half of our loyal fan base. David Lynch's The Avatar Returns is really good. (laughs) Um... Uh, But seriously, folks, we are the Avatar Returns. Uh, And if for some reason this is your first time tuning in, uh, thank you, but you're doing it wrong. We were a review show dedicated to the award-winning animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. We spent 46 episodes over a year and a half discussing every single chapter of both incredible shows as well as some some less, slightly less incredible stuff like that freaking Shyamalan film. Um, swamp benders, <laughs> swamp benders, uh, prison episodes. Um, oh, whatever. So why... I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm throwing my headset <laughs> off in disgust. Uh, anyways, why you'd choose to start your podcast adventure here of all places. I have no idea, but bless your heart. If that's what you're doing, if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your patience. I hope that this will have been worth your wait. Probably not, but we're going to do our best. So, uh, let's get back into this. I am Paul Smith, co-host of the Gobbledy Geek podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric, and I have not gotten over the idea of David Lynch's Avatar. It's just totally stuck in my head. <laughs> I am uh, Arlo Wiley. I, too, am co-host of uh, the Gobbledy Geek podcast, and I, too, uh, would love for there to be uh, David Lynch's Avatar. Who would play Aang? Kyle McLaughlin? No, no. Well, Kyle McLaughlin is 100% Fire Lord Ozai. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I like it. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Wow. Um, and I, I feel like we'd have to resurrect Jack Nance for a part. Yes, yes, we would. Is, is he? Is he our Iroh? In <laughs> He's our Iroh. Yes. Wow, that's because beautiful. When you when you think Mako, you think Jack Nance. Yes, you really do. <laughs> that's yeah. Just how it works. Uh, okay, Wait, we were totally sidetracked off of our intro. Uh, new listeners are so confused. So tonight, tonight, listen, tonight, in the frustrating absence of any new chapters or brand new animated series, perhaps uh, created and directed by David Lynch, um, we are continuing with our coverage of the Dark Horse Comics graphic novel series. Uh, we've previously discussed four volumes of the book, The Promise, The Search, The Rift, and Smoke and Shadows, all of those written by Jean Lu and Yang uh, with art by the Japanese duo Gurahiru. Uh, tonight, we're building a snowman with the fifth installment uh, in the series, North and South, which finally puts the spotlight on siblings Sokka and Katara, who have been in previous volumes, but not nearly enough. Um, it also just happens to be the grand farewell for our writer-artist team, as both uh, they, they're, they're all moving on to other projects, um, which... It- is sad. Did the rest of you know this? Because I didn't. I found this out via one of the liner notes, basically. I, same here. I I didn't like. I knew they were. They had announced a Legend of Korra series with no involvement from them, but I didn't know that that meant they weren't going to continue on Avatar. That was kind of like a gut punch to obviously, me. Obviously, obviously, neither one of you follows uh, TAR podcast on. Uh... <laughs> On Twitter, because I tweet this stuff from our Twitter account, <laughs> and uh, uh, 
weeks, possibly months ago, they announced who the, the new team was going to be. So, yes, I knew that this was going to be the final volume for them. Wait, there's, they have announced a new team? Yep. We don't Why know. would we follow our own account on Twitter? That makes too much sense. I 100% follow that account, but the mistake is thinking that I actually check Twitter okay. consistently enough to not miss a tweet like that. Oh, so, well. well, listen. Well, okay, so more about that later. They have announced who the new team is. We can, we'll talk about that at the end or later in the show. Uh, I'll hold that back as a surprise since none of neither of my co-hosts apparently know who it is. But uh, before we do that, it's been a long time. It's been six months since the last time we recorded an episode of this silly little podcast. Um, so there's a little bit of catching up to do. Uh, not a lot. Before we get into the, the book itself, let's just get caught back up with each other. So uh, what the hell is new with you guys? Preferably Avatar adjacent new stuff, but I don't know if everybody has that kind of thing. Um, I mean, what qualifies as Avatar adjacent? Because right now, I am still, like, hip deep in fan casting David Lynch's Avatar. I could continue talking about that for a while, um, but if not, I'll cede the floor to Eric. Biggest mistake wow. I've made in the entire run of this podcast was making that David Lynch joke at the top of the show because it's not going anywhere. Nope, it's going to be whatever remaining episodes of this show happen, however many more volumes of things get released, this is sticking with us from now on. My only my only complaint is that we finished it before this joke could have happened away earlier. I'm very disappointed. Um, have I, do I have anything, Avatar Jason 2? I mean, I've been... I've been um, anxiously awaiting Korra stuff. Irene Co. keeps posting pictures from of her like Korra artwork, and it kills me. Have, have either of you read the first volume? No, I'm not reading no, any I of haven't. it until the, I was waiting to see if there was going to be a library edition like this. Because I, I just love the liner note stuff so much. I don't know. Maybe we're not going to get that for Korra. I'm not, I'm not really well, sure. Well, this is... Uh... I warned the guys off mic before we started recording that this might be a long episode. Part of the reason it might go long is because we've got some stuff to talk about on air. Like not just the book tonight we're reviewing, but we've, we, we're going to hash out a little bit of maybe what we're going to do going forward. Um, I will oh, it's this. Yes, oh, this it's is what this. you're, this is what you're dropping on it's us. This. I see. It's this, that, not, this is not the banter. We're going to save this for later, but uh, I will confess I have read the first volume of the Cora book. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll just say it's good. Um, I, I love Irene Co, but it is a bit of an adjustment to go from Gurahiru to Irene Co. Totally different art style. She she's great, but it, it was a it was an adjustment to make. So, uh, anyways, wow. so so now nothing's going on really over here. Just um, I, I did I I had sort of a, a legitimately had like a little bit of like a low point and rewatched like the last three episodes of Korra. I will, I will say, cause when I really, really, really need a boost, uh, Korra team Korra taking down a giant Mecca is, is a bit of an easy win. I actually, myself. I actually did that too. I rewatched the last three episodes. Like I think last week, maybe Arlo, so. have, you, have you revisited any of the show since we stopped recording? I have not, and I feel even worse saying that than I 
would have like before you both just said that. So no, I, I have not. I've I keep thinking about it because those are both phenomenal shows, and I would love to to dive back into them perhaps with uh, with my bride to be. Uh, but yeah, no, I I have not. Sadly, shame on you. All right, so the, the, there, well, hold on. There's, there's a piece of information that we should say because I think that has changed since we did this. That I, I we've been roped into the horror of being Team Arlo for mm. his wedding. Yeah. So we're is gonna that, be is, is we're that be trapped. Is that news since we recorded? I can't remember. I think it is. Okay. Well, at least well, I feel like the the like details are like I don't know if I knew I was gonna be like like totally tied into this nonsense yeah yeah it's 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 legit um we uh it's we're we're gonna have so when you guys are here in person because both of them uh dear listener will be part of the bridal party um we're gonna do one of those like blood packs where somebody like takes like a pocket knife out and like slices their palm open um and then we will be bound together for the rest of your cursed existences um so enjoy well that that's that's about as horrifying as everything i could have imagined and there is another piece of information avatar related paul asks for avatar adjacent life stuff and there's one person on this podcast who has a fairly significant avatar adjacent life thing that happened and he has said nothing about it what wait i assume you're referring to me Yes, I'm referring to you, motherfucker. What is my significant... I'm shocked. What is my significant... What's on your knuckles, dude? Oh, the tattoos. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you to hold this whole podcast up. Um, yeah, so that wasn't the thing that I... That wasn't the uh, Avatar Jason thing I was going to talk about. But yes, I, I have recently... I've begun adding to the ink tapestry on my body. Uh, and one of the things I added are the four uh, Avatar elemental symbols on the fingers of my right hand. So from little finger to index finger, it goes air, water, earth, fire. It, so, they look really cool too. Yes, they do. Uh, I've, I've gotten so many comments on them. It's incredible how many people not only notice them, but know what they are. Just, in fact, just today I had two different people say, are those the avatar symbols? <laughs> so nice. I love that you did, you did, you permanently put avatar stuff on your body and you did not think it was like a big enough thing well, to I, call out on the avatar returns podcast. I, I think I, I think I mentioned it on Gobbledygeek once uh and and so I don't know I just lost track I forgot that I hadn't mentioned it but um but yeah no that's really cool uh they they did come out much nicer than I was expecting. I'm I made uh this wasn't the reason I put them in this order uh the air water earth fire because you know I could have uh, I could have adjusted that order however I wanted, but that does conveniently put the uh, earth elemental symbol on my middle finger. So when I'm flipping people off, I'm giving them the earth finger now. So excellent. anyways, um, no, the, uh, the avatar adjacent, like life news that I have is this is going to be so crazy. So I had a therapy session today. And um, my therapist, uh, bless her heart, w- this is the most unusual form of therapy I've had in my entire life. Half of the time when I go in for therapy sessions, it's really just us talking about pop culture. There's not a, which kind of, for me kind of qualifies as therapy, admittedly, but it's not what you typically think of as like a counseling or a depression therapy session. Um, well, today, <laughs> she, 
I went in and she actually took me in there earlier or early. So I had almost a 90 minute session today and it was almost entirely about Avatar because she has recently started watching the show with her daughter and listening to our podcast. Wow. So, so as she's watching the shows, she then goes and finds the, the episode of the Avatar Returns uh, that coincides and she listens to that. And she, uh, her and her daughter both are loving it. So, and she wow. wanted me to say, she wanted me to tell you, Arlo, that she agrees with you, Imprisoned is a good episode. Hell yes. Fire her. Fuck <laughs> yes. Your therapist, I'm sure, has a PhD or some shit, which means she's really smart. So if a really smart person agrees with me, that means I'm really smart, too. I told her I would tell you and that you would be thrilled. But... Well, she'll hear this eventually. Yeah, a long ways so... down the road. But anyways... Um, so that was it. That's great though. That's, that's very, uh, it's very unusual. It um, is. It's, it's, it's more unusual than you know, because I, okay. So because of me and because of my therapy sessions, she has listened to the S town podcast and listened Arlo to our gobbly geek episode about the S town podcast. That is fascinating because when I go see my psychologist, he does not seem like a man who would ever even fathom listening to a podcast, um, which actually might make him the ideal therapist for me. Um, we, yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. We were her first. She's also listened to episode 300 of Gobbledy Geek, which I guess you had she, told me that it shouldn't um, surprise anybody. Um, she, because of me, she has watched the how to train your dragon films. Wow. She, she uh, oh, what else did she, else has she watched she started watching i don't know how far she's gotten into it but she started watching bojack horseman i need to get back into that i I feel like you have had a profound effect on this woman's life regardless of whether or not she is able to provide (laughs) valuable assistance to you yeah you have completely changed the course of her life i mean seriously just getting somebody else to watch avatar and like it um that counts as successful therapy so no matter where it goes from here i i I consider this uh, round of counseling a success. Sweet. I want to know what what research book she is writing on you. I know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. That's awesome. She also has a copy of a uh, Delhi Counter of Justice, but she hasn't read it yet. That's a, that's a, that's like more like that's late late um late book like chapter stuff yeah. like really delving into the psyche of of yeah. Paul. We'll yeah. be reading that. Okay, so we found all that interesting. I'm sure our listeners didn't care a damn about it. So let's get into our main topic. Um, We're going to be discussing Volume 4, North and South, which, uh, as I said at the top, finally gives us sort of a spotlight uh, volume on Sokka and Katara, who have been in previous volumes but really didn't get much to do, um, I don't think. Um, Again, for the last time, written by Gene Lu and Yang with art by Guru Hiro. So, how do we want to start this? Am I still the noob, even though we're all noobs on this? Yeah. Okay. I, I think feel so. like that's only fair. Okay. Well, so then I'll make an effort at a very brief explanation of what this volume is. Basically, in uh, was it Smoke and Shadow? No, it was. 
I can't remember if it was Smoke and Shadows that we saw it or it was in the Rift where we saw Sokka and Katara um, leave to go back to the South Pole to like. I I believe that was Smoke and Shadow because there's a flashback in here to Smoke and Shadow, and then uh, I think it's uh, Jean Lu and Yang even mentions in the like the liner notes. Or, or whatever that uh, the events of this book overlap with Smoke and Shadow. Right. Yeah. So they in in one of their previous adventures they bumped into some people from the South Pole that they recognized and it reminded them, hey, we haven't been home since this whole Hundred Years War thing. Um, so they left in that story to go back home, and this is that story. So uh, they return home and find it significantly changed in the aftermath of the Hundred Years War. Um, uh, the the you know, the tiny little village that they left behind is not so tiny or villagey anymore. It's kind of a, a full-blown city, um, a la the Northern Water Tribe, which we saw in the, in the television series. And there's a little bit of political intrigue or controversy um, that comes up. And that's about as basic as we can get with the story uh, that this book covers. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now, since... Uh, Arlo, when you were the noob, I always started off by asking you what was your overall impression. My overall impression here is this might be, for for reasons, which we'll get into, this might be my least favorite of all of them. Ooh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, Sokka is is arguably my favorite character of the of the Ang Gang of this particular team avatar, um, and I had no problems with him in this book, but just various things about this the story the characterization it, even even the art to a certain extent i think this is in my opinion this is the low bar of these five volumes interesting that was Ouch. definitely not my impression i i i now that i know this is the end i, I guess i can actually note uh, what my low bar of this was but it was not it was not this so although, what, what although, was what was the low bar for you of uh, the was it the rift maybe or no no i'm sorry smoke and shadow what was the whatever the one with with the like factory and Toth and Toth. that's the rift that was that was the rift and i i agree with you eric that that's my low bar as well it 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 was just sort of it sort of had no impact on on much of anything there were things i liked about it like it was not bad i mean i think that the fact that that like the worst for me was still an extremely good book is is good but yeah um, definitely that was definitely where although I will say, Paul, that I started off feeling that way, and I made a realization on this that every single volume of this series, I've started off feeling like this feels too small scale. Like, is this really what we're going to do? This doesn't feel like it has any impact. And then somewhere around the midpoint of every single one of these, my opinion has flipped almost entirely. And that was true of this one, too. That midway through, I was, like, really into it, and I felt I felt very... Very um, em- emotional near the end, especially like knowing it was going to be the end, but like the last page in particular made yeah. me emotional. So I, I, I really, and I really like the themes. I liked a lot of things about this, but I'm really curious about ultimately what, what didn't work for you. Well, yeah, I, 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 as you, as you said, Eric, I, you know, the low bar in this series is still pretty high bar compared to everything else. So it's not like I, I disliked North and South. It's just not my favorite of them so far. Um, and there were, there were definitely things in this that, you know, got me kind of emotional, especially with the knowledge that it's Jean's final outing. But uh, anyways, I'm sorry, Arlo, go ahead. What were your thoughts? Oh, I, I was just going to echo what 
Eric said in that I feel like every time I've started off reading one of these, I've always had like, you know, like doubts about it. Like, like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, I'm sure even if you go back to the episode where we discussed The Promise, the first volume, I think you'll find that I wasn't as effusive about it as I would be now. Like now I think, you know, with the hindsight, I think it's a great book. But at the time, I wasn't quite sure about it. And I've kind of had that response to every single one of these. But by the end of each volume, I've been completely won over, which which I think is is interesting. And I think it says a lot about how uh, Gene Lu and Yang tells a story. Um, he starts off from a relatively small or seemingly inconsequential place and it just it, 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 it organically grows and grows from there and I felt like this one almost felt um, like the perfect I'm not saying it's my favorite but it felt like the perfect example of that kind of storytelling because like Eric was saying I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this because I love Sokka and Katara but I just I didn't know if I was on board for a whole, you know, like 300 page graphic novel about their return home, uh, you know, and, and political intrigue in uh, the South Pole. But I loved how many threads from the series um, Yang managed to to weave into this and how each of the main characters makes an appearance in a way that did not seem. Um, you know, forced or shoehorned in. I, I wound up being really, really impressed with this one. Hmm. Yeah, same. Okay. Um, well, that's fair. Uh, you monster. I know. I know. I mean, this wasn't as bad as Imprisoned, but yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not my favorite. Um, so, well, let's talk about the, the larger theme of this book, because I feel like uh, Gene has been telling a a cohesive he's been exploring a cohesive consistent sort of element of the the world of avatar in all of these books uh whatever the micro story or the, you know the 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 microcosm of the story he's telling the macrocosm is always focused on things like um nationalism versus egalitarianism uh, uh development uh modernization um that kind of stuff uh in in a post 100 year war hundred years war world and um the i I was going to save this till later i was going to ask us to rank all of the books but i'll just go ahead and spoil uh, the promise for me when all is said and done the promise which was the very first book in the series um is the high watermark and i will say i've got a couple notes here i I was fact checking some details that were going to go into it at a certain point and it caused me to go back and and not fully read but peruse all four of the previous volumes and even art wise i know this makes no sense because guru hero it seems like they've done nothing but improve as they've gone along now with all five volumes in front of me looking back at their art in the very first volume the promise i think that was their best work interesting um, and part of it might be that that was before they went fully digital. Uh, they were still working more or less traditionally back then, and each volume has gotten, uh, they've gotten more and more uh, digital to the point where I don't know where when they went full digital, but as of this point, their art is like 100% digital. And 
the good thing about that is that it's uh there it's it's crisp and clean and absolutely beautiful and the colors are are vibrant and and gorgeous their their artwork is absolutely gorgeous but um this volume left me feeling i didn't mean this to be a pun but this volume left me feeling just the slightest bit cold um the art is just a little bit too perfect this these are minor nitpicks cuz their art is beautiful but when I was looking back through the promise, you could tell that it was more traditional artwork and um, they were still sort of finding their feet. And some of the idiosyncrasies of their artwork back then, um, I really love now. And I kind of prefer it to this this more polished, like perfected art that they, they had in their final volume. So I'm going to be the Arlo on this episode, basically, where I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to say a whole bunch of negative things. And in the end, I'm going to say, but I really liked this book. So I so I know I keep saying this to to your criticisms. I find that interesting because I've got all five volumes laid out in front of me right now. And even before you started talking about the art, I was kind of flipping through them to see how it compares. And honestly, like you know, I get what you're saying with the idiosyncrasies in, in the earlier work and how comparing the promise to North and South, North and South is definitely more perfect i guess you could say but i don't read anything cold into that i i think their work has steadily improved and i mean they aren't given my favorite things to draw in this volume i think for me that bar was probably in uh the search when they got to draw that crazy cool towering mask god thing the, the mother of faces yeah, the mother of faces that was that was phenomenal, um, but I I don't know I think their their art overall, I think it might be the best here. Well, I'm gonna if you'd like if we want to just we're in the art now if you'd like I could I could try and explain some of the things in in this that uh, turned me off is too strong of a way of putting it, but. I feel like, I mean, part of the problem with this might be that it is set in the South Pole where like 75% of every page is white. So, I mean, that's just part, you know, inherent in the setting is there's not a lot of background detail that they can put in. Um, whereas like in Smoke and Shadow, it was all in the the jungles of the, the Fire Nation. There was a lot of detail. And in the search, you had the mother of faces and there was also the woods and all the lakes and everything. But um there's this by nature of being set in a the snow and icebound south pole i think there's not a they lose a little bit of the the background detail that they had available to them before but i mean there are things like um even the the sort of fight sequences i feel like again i want to say nothing in here was bad there was never a, a page or a panel that i was like oh that's that's just awful why did they do that but it just feels so much simpler and sort of less energetic um and this is gonna this is a complaint i'm gonna have about the characterization a little bit when we get to that point too some of it just felt a little dialed back a little simpler and and less uh less detailed i guess than previous volumes so I disagree with less detail, but you're you're calling out something I think is really really interesting about this book um, that I agree with, which is that, and I said that this kind of my opinion of this book turned around in the middle, but the assessment that this one was small scale 
stuck around in most ways except for one, which really I loved, um, which really nailed for me. But this one definitely didn't have the mythological or world scope right. that the other volume, or at least many of the other volumes had. I would say the Rift was about the same scale yeah. um, in terms of things. But there's a big difference between this and the Rift for me, which is, and it's it's called out really well in one of the notes in the middle, which is that, you remember how the North and South are at each other's throats in Legend of Korra? This is how it begins. Yeah. And watching the deterioration of the Northern and Southern water tribes and knowing where it led, I found that, that, that the where they were in Korra didn't, didn't not make sense, but there was like it was hard to like track exactly how we had gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. And I found this that aspect of this book and the way all of the characters exemplified pieces of that struggle um, really powerful. So I it was smaller scale. It never had that like big feeling. There was no mother of faces type thing. Um, the impact of the story is going to be felt decades down the line on this. So they, even that isn't quite there, but. The the fact that the northern and southern water tribes were like beginning their death spiral into um, where things were, this may even improve my read on a little bit, not all of, but a little bit of season two. Of season Korra. two, I was going to go there with the whole Unalak thing, so um, that's that's maybe a little bit of the 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 yoke that uh, that Gene Lu and Yang was was pulling when he was trying to tell this story. I I don't know. Even though we insist on reading these uh, library editions that have the the footnotes and the the back material uh, in the back, we don't get an awful lot of information on like how these things are produced. So I don't know if Gene comes up with these stories and pitches them to Brian and and Michael or or what. I, I don't know where these ideas come from. But this book, I think, maybe more than any of the others, felt like it was specifically trying to link two events or two two sort of status quos that being the north and south that we saw in the television series versus where we see them end up in Korra the other four volumes there may have been little elements of that there may have been some things they were trying to explain like obviously the creation of Republic City and that but it felt like there was another story around that whereas this felt like it was it was mostly focused on you know, in Korra, the North and South are in a civil war. This is where that starts. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> and anyways, I, I agree. Uh, it it uh, it did make me think of season of book two of Korra. It did make me think of Unalak um, and trying to figure out like. Um, I. I try not to judge these things, or I try not to re- review these things based on the story that I wish they had told. Like I try to, I try to just read the story we're given, and and and, and not come out of it saying, "Man, I wish they had done this instead." But I'm I'm going to do that for a, just a little bit here, and I'm going to say, I feel like there was a more interesting way to tell this story uh, because we're seeing Katara, like this this is. I want you guys to walk me back from thinking that this was out of character for Katara. Um, I, I, I don't think it was actually out of character. Like, I, I think it would be pretty easy for you guys to tell me, no, Katara's been like, she's young, just like the rest of them. And Katara had her moments of immaturity on the show. And, and, you know, she, she almost in, uh, in the Southern Raiders, she tracked down that guy and almost killed him and everything. But 
Um, it's just, it's, it's difficult for me going from her character growth on the series. And then even the stuff that she's seen in the previous four books of, of the graphic novels, uh, where like she was present for the creation of basic, what basically becomes Republic city. She's, you know, she's, she, she went to the Northern Water Tribe. She taught them, like the whole reason Paku, Master Paku now is willing to, to train girls is because she exchanged ideas with, with him, basically, to put it mildly. And it's just, it's just the tiniest bit awkward uh, for her to be so um, isolationist in this volume. So I don't necessarily think it's out of character because yes she is she's being like she's being isolationist to a degree i think she's kind of caught in the middle between um reason like knowing that progress has to happen and and like you said having been present during so many moments of progress and change and then that really backwards looking um attitude that gilak has um are we so how are we pronouncing it is it is is it gilak gilak i I was saying uh gilak but gilak but who knows goldilocks Eric, eric what do you say i'm actually not sure if i was pronouncing it in my head and i um I, I, I mean, I'm actually not sure. Um, now I'm just—I'm probably gonna just mix up the pronunciation and randomly throughout this episode now, so that I'm right once or twice. What, what's the what's the guy? What's the uh, the praying mantis guy from uh, Space Ghost? Oh, uh, Zorak. Oh, Zorak. I was thinking it was Garrick. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, the G, G guy. Garrick. The G guy. Um, Goldilocks, as we like to call him. Sure. Um, so in, in that sort of backwards thinking. Uh, backwards looking mentality um so i read katara's reaction as being really similar to ang's reaction when he saw what had become of uh the the air temple right um and what had become of his people's culture obviously that was a different situation the air nomad i'm sorry the air nomads had been you know wiped out a century previous um, but Katara, as progressive as she is, um, she has very, and I think they really spell this out at the end when she's, um, talking to, uh, her, her mother at her mother's gravesite. She, they've traveled the world. They've had all these adventures. They've done all of these great things that have pushed the world forward, but in her mind and in her heart, there's always been a home that she wants to go back to. And when they finally go back after, I, I don't know how long, you know, the series and the comics have taken place over, but, you know, at least a couple years, I would assume, um, they finally return home and it's, it's almost unrecognizable to her. And, and I don't think she's being, because she does see reason. She does, you know, and I really love how at the end of the book they say, you know, the oil refinery might still be built. You know, the, the she, her way of thinking did not win that battle necessarily. Well, I mean, um, and we know that it doesn't is the thing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, 
but I, I don't know that 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 all seemed realistic and in character to me because she never seemed so yes she seemed hardline but she never seemed so hardline about it that she was like stepping out of character well uh, mm. so so i i i'm gonna i'm back i'm backing up arlo on this and i i want to add something to this so what i like about it is like like carlo said that it's it is her reaction is not based on reason. It's yeah. based on her emotional reaction that that is doing it's changing something else. And I what I really like about this is that we have now gotten an issue a volume of this from almost for almost all the main characters and they've all despite their high-mindedness outside of things and very good thoughts outside of things um, Zuko struggled with Republic, the founding of Republic City because that was challenging what he thought his culture was. Aang had his problems with the people who eventually became the not the Air Nomads. What are they? What were they acolytes, called? The, the Air Acolytes. The Air um, and now Katara is coming back home to find that the place that she thought was going to be there isn't anymore, along with all the baggage that she's acquired from seeing other places wrecked by various things. So. And you think that, like, think about the episode where she was the the ghostly woman. And the painted lady. The painted lady. Um, and, like, there were lots of things where she's seen modernization destroy mm-hmm. places. And she, she struggles with it. I think this is actually really about her struggle. And I think it's really tied up in her feelings towards Milana or whatever Melina. her name is. Melina. 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 <laughs> I didn't say Milana. But but anyway, I think her her back and forth with her is a I think a, the the like emotional component of the larger story. And 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 here's here's why I said that I wanted you guys to sort of walk me back from this because and this is sort of the argument I was expecting because I was trying I, I was trying to have this argument with myself. I, I was I was I was really trying to read it as she just exactly what you said, Eric, but also the fact that she sees she's never fully processed the loss of her mother. And now her father is in a new relationship and the relationship just happens to be with someone from the Northern water tribe. And so even as I was reading it, and even as I was just kind of not feeling it, I I was trying to, to process it through that lens. It, it never worked for me. I mean, I, I can't really make excuses for that. For, for some reason, I just, I didn't, lock into it the way that I wanted to, but I don't disagree with anything either of you have said. I, I, I'm sure like Gene is a good enough writer. I, I'm sure that that is what he was doing. I'm, I'm sure that's what's going on with the character, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I didn't process it that way, unfortunately. So maybe, um, maybe if I revisit, maybe when I reread this, I'll have a different opinion, but before we move further into character, I just uh, one of my art notes. I don't want to leave the art completely behind. Um, I, I was trying to find ways to rationalize my why I feel like the art is off just a little bit here. And in in the previous volumes, we talked about uh, one of the things that we loved so much about Guruhiro's art is that, like we specifically talked about it in the promise that. Uh, so many of modern comics, they rely so much on splash pages and double page spreads and that. And, um, and Gurihiro used those very, very sparingly and to great effect. And so I went back and I counted. The Promise had one. There was one splash, like big splash double page thing. The Search had three. The Rift had six. Smoke and Shadows was back down to two. And North and South has 13. 
so this is also something that I noticed, but I I'm not going to take it as a negative because, you know, they went into this, unlike me, apparently, knowing this was their last volume their last chance at least for now to play in the world of avatar and i you know and to sort of bring everything to a conclusion and i thought that all of their double page spreads really highlighted um all the or at least most of the beautiful things about their artwork and i mean they even kind of said as much um in the annotations for the double page spread where uh katara uses her ice powers to uh I, I can't find it right now yeah and i remember uh, the one you're talking about they said we, yeah 186 we and 187 yeah yeah uh, once we decided to focus this focus this story arc on katara and Sokka, i knew we had to give katara a double page spread to show off her skills here it is but the problem is the... this this is a good example okay because this is great again their artwork is still beautiful and maybe i'm i've just come to expect so much from them that even in the midst of this beautiful artwork and in a co in any other comic, this would be great. This is so like simple for what I know that they can do when they say they wanted to do this double page spread to show off Katara's skills. She's not doing anything especially, especially like noteworthy in this. Um, and, and this is a, this is a, an issue that I had this mm. more than any of the other books. I felt like the character's, um, abilities, their their bending skills and their 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 various abilities were really dialed back for plot reasons. There are so many, like when when King Kue is uh, when Earth King Kue is is kidnapped, or or no, when her fought when their father Hakoda is kidnapped, and they're they're chasing after the kidnappers, and they're like they turn a corner and there's three guys standing there, and Toph of all people is like, there's just too many dunderheads in the way, and I'm flashing back to to all of the the crowds of people that Toph has annihilated with a wave of her hand previously. And like, there's another scene where, uh, uh, Jalak or, or Gillette or whatever his name is, <laughs> is running away with Hakoda over his shoulder. And he like, he like rounds a corner and Katara's Katara's like, they're gone or, or whatever. And I'm like, this is again, a minor nitpick, but we've seen these characters in much, much more dire circumstances than this. And we know for a fact that they are capable of dealing with situations way beyond this. So there were several times where I, I caught myself thinking, well, for plot reasons, Aang has to forget that they flow here on, flew here on Appa. <laughs> or he has to conveniently forget that he's got his air glider or whatever. There, there were instances where I was like, you know, the, the Aang that we've seen in the previous four volumes could have easily handled this situation. Oh, no, I'm actually going to agree with Paul now. Can I, can I, are you all ready for me to ruin everything now? Because I'm going <laughs> to bounce back and forth. So, okay. Paul, the, the two-page spread with Katara showing her abilities, I completely agree that that it was, it's not a bad two-panel spread. I mean, it's not, okay, it is not bad artwork. The artwork is, is very beautiful. But I, but I agree that that feels like the kind of thing that would have been one quarter of a page right generally and there would have been five other pieces of images all around it uh giving stuff whereas that was it for something that was meant to show off her abilities she there's actually a much cooler thing later on when she basically goes full Iceman, yeah to save uh melina near the end yes that was a much more badass awesome use of her powers than basically just creating an ice ramp which was like 
I don't know, ice bending 101 to a degree. So I agree. Like, I think that there, that one was a actually of all the, I actually don't have a problem generally with the two page spreads, but I remember like I was reading that one and I actually kept looking at it, trying to figure out what was supposed to be awesome about it <laughs> yeah. and, and trying to figure out what I was missing. Um, so that, that was a bit of a problem for me. And I do also agree that in the parlance of our uh, video game times, the characters did feel a little nerfed in, <laughs> yeah. in this, in this issue um, generally. And that, and that fight scene with the people breaking in was a, a pretty good, um, pretty good example of that. Like they, they really struggle with a bunch of non-vendors and like one or two team blockers. Yeah. And they're, and everyone's here. Zuko's here. It's mm-hmm. not just like one or two of them. Like every, literally, the entire team has gathered, and they struggle to fight a bunch of like chowderheads, basically. So I agree there. Man, I'm sorry. I, I'm 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 bouncing back and forth here on ping pong ball. Um, uh, well, that that's good. You you keep us balanced. Um, at least your top point, Paul. I would point out that they make a note early on that because she's in the land of the ice and snow she's wearing boots that are kind of dampening her ability to to clearly see things around her so maybe the fact that there were like a bunch of dunderheads in the way was confusing her more than it otherwise would have in a different setting maybe um i want to ask really quickly on the subject of toph and artwork did did I didn't notice this with any of the other characters, um, but I feel like Toph, and, and this is not a complaint, I, I kind of like this, I feel like Toph looked a little bit aged up. Did anybody else feel that way? I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking now. Like, particularly in her very first, like the very first time we see her, uh, which is uh, page 90. Uh, when we first see her in her winter gear, which, by the way, is is beautiful. I love her outfit in this. I love her winter gear. Um, yeah, that's actually fair. I can, yeah, I, I, I can I, see that. Um, and it's it's slightly inconsistent. There are other times where she looks, you know, a, a little more childish. But I just feel, and and I actually, I'm actually holding this up as a good thing. I I kind of like what I want to see, what I want to start seeing, and it, when we're done, I want to ask us where we want this to go. But one of the things I want to see happen in the future is we start seeing the characters at different ages. Like I'd kind of like to start aging these characters up a little bit now. So yeah, the the notion that maybe we're see like maybe uh, Toph is entering a growth spurt or something um, appeals to me. So. Yeah, and actually, you know, I think that there's a degree to which Katara looks a little aged up too. Mm-hmm. Not a much, but I, 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 I mean, I'm with you that I think it would be awesome for them to, um, to go a little, a little further down the timeline if they're gonna do this stuff. But uh, although, so, okay, crap, I'm on the, I'm on the negative train now. I'm Damn sorry. It, Paul. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, so, I don't know. Maybe it's too early to talk about this, but is. This is I so I think there are a lot of really beautiful things and I really like this book but I'm I actually finished it today for what it's worth because I was gonna finish it when we were gonna record it last week and we 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 had to move the episode and I actually do I read a chunk of it before this has been my like mo usually I read a chunk of it before just so I have like a foothold in the book and then read the majority of it the day we we broadcast so that I've like got it fresh in my mind because there's a lot these are really big um, but the longer I'm sitting with it the more I'm asking the question of is this is this really like how you'd want to end your run on it? This is good. 
But is this really like the the ending for like the last statement that this team wants to make on Avatar? Yeah. See, and that's kind of why I was saying earlier that I, I it would be interesting to know how these stories were broken. Like if like how far in advance Gene knew that maybe these were the five stories he was going to tell and how much of this was him pitching ideas to them and how much of it was them saying, all right, this is kind of what we want you to cover. Um, Because like in the, in the side notes in here, he talks about the fact that they, that knowing this was going to be their last story, they wanted to focus on Katara and Sokka because they hadn't had enough focus and they wanted to make sure they got the whole gang in there. Although I would point out a, a notable and distressing lack of Suki in the entire series so far, but specifically here, considering she's supposed to be Zuko's uh, main bodyguard. I, I just, it would have been nice to get Suki into the story as well. But anyways, maybe that's just me. So, I mean, obviously this is not, like, a huge, explosive, um, like, slam-bang conclusion to the grand Avatar narrative. But, I mean, at the same time, if I think about a lot of, definitely, certainly not all, but, like, many runs on superhero comics, I think, um, kind of end on a similar note, because they know that the story is is going to continue after they leave um so i don't know it didn't necessarily bother me that this wasn't a big explosive ending because it like i said earlier to me this really does bring up a lot of the the threads of you know um industrial progress versus you know um keeping one's culture intact um, it was maybe a little um, less epic, a little quieter than some of the other volumes, but I, I didn't take that. Uh, apparently, I'm just being relentlessly positive this what? episode. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't take any of that as a, as a negative. Well, no, and I, I want to be – that's it's really a good – I'm glad you made that distinction, Arlo, because I, I don't actually mind that it was smaller scale. That's actually not where, what I, where I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with this is, is this like the final statement? For it, not, and that could be it. Could be smaller on that end, and I will say that I've realized something that I can't believe I didn't realize till now is that they ended where the series began in the South Pole. I can't believe I just noticed that. But other there, than there's, that, there's a there's so many callbacks in this, which, I mean, if you were being cynical, which it sounds like I'm being, and I'm actually not. If you were being cynical, you could say, oh, that was so so much fan service in here. But I actually liked it. I liked the fact that we got the flashback to uh, the the boy in the iceberg when they went penguin sledding and you know we returned to the 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 haunted shipwreck or whatever and there's a ton of that so it it really does feel like gene was was sort of reminding us where the whole thing started before you know he he put the final pin in it for him um personally i kind of would have preferred to see this now this would have messed up arlo's um all the even episodes of Star Trek are the best and all the even books of uh, Avatar graphic novels are the Zuko ones. Um, but uh, I kind of would have preferred to see this and Smoke and Shadow swap so that Smoke and Shadow would have been the last Gene volume. That, I mean, I can see that because I'm, I'm looking through Smoke and Shadow again right now and what... Uh... Let's see. What note did that end on? Okay. I, I, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I like the way this one sort of brings everything full circle, which, which I don't think was really, and maybe this is just me being, you know, like narrow minded because I wouldn't necessarily have thought that a story about Sokka and Katara would have been able to bring everything full circle, but I, I just don't know if it would have had the same vibe or the same feel as this one. Um, I don't know, you guys. I'm 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 going all out defending this. <laughs> That's totally fine. That's totally cool. Um, I will say I loved, uh, I loved the final sort of beat of this book. I love the fact that it ended in the 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 dining room of Serenity or whatever that it had its uh, its Firefly ending where everyone is sitting around a table enjoying a meal. I'm a little. It was a little sad that Katara got to serve northern food, northern tribe food, instead of her own southern tribe food. But fuck, whatever. That's a. That's just me being, uh, particularly sensitive to the the tribal issues in this book. But um, I, I I just realized why why this is, feels weird as a final statement for Avatar hmm. for me because I think emotionally it has a lot of the right things thematically it feels. Like, it brings home a lot of the themes that we've been seeing through other books. But the final volume, their final issue of Avatar has is not about Aang at all. Yeah. Like, there's, it's, it's actually, and don't get me wrong, Katara is, like, my my favorite character of the, like, core Aang gang sometimes. Like, I, I struggle with her and Toph being which one's my favorite. But, um, I, oh, my oh. God, like. Hey. <laughs> so my cat is fine. She is carrying around her Chewbacca toy right now and oh, wants to bring it to me. That's oh, what's oh, going on. My God, that is precious. Yeah. Hi there. Thanks. We can come in now. Um so but so I love that like we're getting a lot of Katara stuff, but you know, this is Avatar, and we actually don't get much of an Avatar final statement. We actually, we actually, when was the last major Ang story we got? Was it the Promise? Did we gotten another Ang story since the Promise? Well, he, I mean, the Rift had a lot to do with him, and because uh, that was him and Toph clashing over, um, like that was when he was trying to recapture the the festival, the old um, Air Nomad festival or whatever, and and he wanted it recreated exactly the way it used to be, and then. That, so that that was an example of Aang having to come to grips with the fact that we're moving forward now. Not everything can be the way it was 100 years ago. So you have to compromise. <laughs> um, yeah, so it certainly wasn't his book. It was more Toph's book than his, but he had a pretty good chunk of the rift. Yeah, okay, that's right. He did have that. You're right. He was, he was at least much more present in that. But yeah, we really haven't had a... like. I guess I, I, in my head, I was expecting whatever a final summation of this would be, would be, Aang, we, we picked up the Avatar at the beginning of this, which is right after the war, and Aang trying to figure out what being the Avatar means in a world where there wasn't this war going on for him to stop. Mm -hmm. And we never really looped back to that idea. We never closed out the idea of what is, what, what is the Avatar's role going forward? And because this wasn't even a story that needed the Avatar. Aang shows up and helps out because he's part of Katara's crew. Right. Not really because the Avatar really had anything to do with this. So, yeah, yeah we my, actually my, leave this. In my character notes, I've got like, I've got paragraphs of notes for most of the characters. And then under Aang, I have one note and it says, I'm not sure there's really any development of note for Aang in this story. <laughs> That's all I wrote about it. <laughs> so I, I can't disagree with you on that one. Um, 
it didn't really they did not circle back around to that initial premise about Aang. However, I will just say again that this isn't really a final statement on Avatar because the the, the comics are going to continue happening. No, no, I'm, but, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, Gene's yeah, final statement yeah. on Avatar. That's really but, what I'm talking about. This crew making when when you, when you finish up your run on something, a lot of times you want to sum something up. Like Grant Morrison wanted to go completely crazy at the end of his X Men run, yes. that kind of thing. Um, so that, I'm really talking about his his sort of closing statement is what I'm talking about. I, so I, I said I try not to do this, and I'm about to do this anyways. Here's what I kind of wish they, they could have structurally done with this story. If they could have, um, in order to end it where the entire series began, they could have had the, the full Aang gang at the beginning of the story and then gradually drop the other characters out. So they, there could have been a story reason why Toph has to leave first because she was the last one to join the group. Well, I mean, technically Zuko, but Zuko was around before that. So Toph could have left or Zuko, whatever. You can swap these around. And then uh, Zuko has to leave. Uh, so it's now it's just Katara, Sokka, and Aang. Uh, and then before the end of the story, Aang, you know, goes off to do his own thing. So that the story ultimately ends in the South Pole with just Sokka and Katara. So it would have played backwards to where we where the entire series started. In fact, the last scene could have been them on a boat fishing, for all I care. <laughs> but I mean, that that would have been neat. Anyways, again, yeah. that's not the story we got. So here we are. Uh, so I want to. I do have. I do have positive stuff to say, and I'm gonna say. I'm gonna start off by saying it about Sokka. For as much as I struggled, rightly or wrongly, with Katara here, um, I feel like. Sokka is pretty much on point. Um, even, even if some of the stuff that he's excited about is a little, I, you know, makes me a little bit uncomfortable because he's super excited about the drilling for oil and all that stuff. It's in character for Sokka. I feel like Sokka's character really, uh, again, Jean captured the character perfectly here. I feel like, and my favorite thing about Sokka is that not, you know, he's not just the comic relief. He's also really smart. Um, we got to see like super intelligent and mature Sokka. I'm not even talking about planner guy, which he got to be at the end, which was fun. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, he gets to, he gets to have lines with his sister, like, um, uh, Oh, where was it? I thought I wrote this down. Uh, look, I'm pretty sure that to us, nobody but mom will ever seem right for dad. But maybe that's okay, because dad gets to choose who's right for dad. That is such a grown-up thing to say. And I love the fact that Sokka was the one that figured, you know, they, they got to say that. And he's got the whole uh, thing at the end when he's talking about how, uh, when he's telling Katara, look, um, none of us know what... Uh, what the Southern tribe used to be like a hundred years ago. Cause none of us were there. So this is what we've got now. We need to go forward. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along those lines. There were just a couple examples of Sokka being like, just really mature and, and, and thinking shit through. And I love it whenever Sokka gets to do that. So. I'm with you on Sokka. I think, I think that Sokka, this is actually a really strong Sokka book on a lot of levels, including him getting to, basically be the one that pulls it out at the end for everyone. Um, although how his plan involving a bridge over a chasm doesn't involve 
the flying bison is right? beyond me. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Did <laughs> they just fair. forget that, is... that they flew there on Appa for crying out loud? Anyway, that is fair. Well, d- wasn't there that one episode that I really had a problem with where they f- they yeah, like was... could have flown Appa over the vast canyon? Yeah, yeah, or, was, or something. It was uh, the the Great Divide, and you were yeah, like, yeah, why yeah, didn't so... Appa just fly back and forth and carry everybody? Right, right. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys on that one. And 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 in that episode, Eric got to make a, a Lord of the Rings joke about why didn't they just have the eagles fly the ring to Mount Doom? So I now I get to bring in my Lord of the jo- Lord of the Rings joke here. Uh, the Southern Water Tribe in this in this volume uh, is uh, is basically like um, oh damn it, I wrote this down. Where'd it go? <laughs> um, oh. Th- they're pulling a where was Gondor when the Westfold fell thing, which is appropriate. They are right. I, I think as in all of the best stories, the good guys and the bad guys all have good and bad points to make. And in this case, uh, Gillette, uh, you know, he makes, he makes some valid points. The, the, the Southern Water Tribe sent all of their men to war. They spilled blood for this war for a hundred years. They were very nearly wiped out. They were like, you know, reduced to living in, in igloos or whatever. And the Northern Water Tribe basically did nothing but just hide behind their walls the entire time. Um, and so that's very, uh, where was Gondor when the West, Westfold fell of them? I thought that was funny. So, so actually, since you brought up uh, the decimation of the South, there was one thing in this that may have been the single most powerful thematic moment of this entire series, hmm. and it's when when Cora, it's her, oh my gosh, when Katara <laughs> is talking about how you know, like she's wanted, she wanted it to be like it was, like you know, that things were better, and Sokka says, "We, no one alive remembers what it was like before the Fire Nation destroyed us, not even Grand Grand." How do you know it was better before? Yeah, that's what I, that's uh, that's the quote I was trying to remember. Uh, yeah, 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 I mean, like it, it, it is that moment that you recall is like the, like I feel like it is the the like pinnacle point of everything that has been brought up throughout this entire run about like the push and pull between things that were good in the past and moving forward, and that that was. There was some very timely stuff going on mm-hmm. in in that part of the plot, um, and I really like that. And it, it and I, I it was I, I we didn't get enough of this kind of Katara Sokka stuff throughout the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing this really has going for it is is those those kinds of scenes. Speaking of timely, um, and and also chilling, um, let's talk about the xenophobia that. <laughs> we eventually get into with the whole foreigners out and, and uh, all that stuff was that we've talked, I think in every one of these books about how we could find some parallel to draw between what's going on in the book and what's fucking going on in the real world. Um, this one, God damn it. This one it was a little, was hard. I agree. Um, hearing uh Pendulette shout, you know, foreigners, um, you know, over and over. It's, I, when we were talking about the Legend of Korra, uh, the final season. Um, oh my gosh, I can't re- remember the villain's name. Kuvira. In the Kuvira, we kept saying that Kuvira was 
going on like a, a make the Earth Kingdom great again mm-hmm. campaign, and Gilak seems to be on a uh, you know make the South Pole great again campaign. It's very and in that respect, I kind of like that Katara gets as dragged into it as she does because that just you know like I think something that a lot of people have been dealing with since Trump was elected, since Brexit happened, is that people they know and love might have these sort of latent, you know, pent-up feelings of, you know, resentment that we didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Ringo Starr came out and said he he was in favor of Brexit. You know, mm-hmm. who would have called that? Not me. Um, so I, 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 I like that we sort of get to dig into that a little bit. And in fact, um, looking at my notes, there was one annotation uh, that Gene had that I really, really liked. Um, it's on page 114 where he says... Oh, yeah. yes. I, I made yeah, a note of this too. Go ahead. Yeah, the the central tension in this story arc and in a few of the other story arcs by Guri Hero and me is between cultural identity and diversity. Is it possible to keep one's own cultural identity in an increasingly diverse world? Can small cultures, small in terms of economic and military might, not in terms of dignity and importance, stay true to themselves while interacting with larger cultures? Gilak believes the answer is no. I sympathize with his position, but I hope he's wrong. And I think that that, which is so much of what this story is about gets at so much of what is going on in our culture right now. This is something that a lot of people, not just here in the U S but abroad are really struggling with as there have been these seismic, uh, changes. So I, though it was uncomfortable at times to read certain things that Gilak you know, says or does in this story. I'm really, really glad um, that Gene dug into this. I mean, you've got like on that page, you've got like Gilak yelling, um, you know, that I am blood of your blood and flesh of mm-hmm. your flesh, which, mm-hmm. you know, brings to mind those chants of, you know, bl- blood and soil. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad that, you know, I think one thing that has been consistent since I started my journey through the world of Avatar is just being gobsmacked that these stories, which are ostensibly for children, um, manage to say so much and be so insightful on a political, you know, spiritual and cultural level. And, I, you know, I think that these graphic novels have gone even deeper a lot of times than at least um avatar the show did no eric i I, I agree oh go ahead i I was just gonna say i just got to the part of my notes where i I wrote in our discussion of volume three the rift eric predicted that when we get to volume five north and south it would make us all like cora book two cora book two more and then I had well with a question mark. So you've kind of already addressed that, but I, I just yeah. wanted to point out that you you did make that prediction. I I, I forgot that I made that prediction, and and you know it. I I do think that um it it has at the very least made the conflict at at work in that story make a lot more sense. 
because at, you know, in Avatar, the North and South basically didn't know anything about each other. They were so totally separate that it wasn't really clear what the like what had happened in between the end of the war and then. So I mean, it was like one of those like many like many things in Korra, and I actually like this about Korra. So this is not a complaint. I like that Korra didn't feel the need to explain all of the political changes that had happened in the last eighty years. It it just treated it as a new world, and you figured out what you needed to figure out the same way you figured out Avatar mm-hmm. when you were watching it. But the effect of that is some of those stories you accept within the story, but you couldn't really track exactly what happened. And I actually think that that story could have used a little more background on the political situation between the North and South. Then again, that story could have used a lot less other shit. So, <laughs> you know. So there's a – there was – a quote from uh, Michael Dante DiMartino. Um, it's in Cora, the Cora book to art book, which I'm flipping through right now and I'm trying to find it. I've got the quote pulled out, but I was trying to f- actually find it in the book and I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, this was obviously, um, well, I guess not obviously. I'm pretty sure that the, the art of book two came out long before North and South was a twinkle in anybody's eyes. So, in one of the notes in here somewhere, he said he gives the backstory on this the Civil War. He's talking about um, Unalak, and so he gives a little background to fill in the details, which is interesting in hindsight now that we have this, which is starting to fill in some of the backstory. Uh, the quote I've got here is. Uh, he says, so here's a little Avatar history. The South had a long-established council of elders to help govern their tribe on a day-to-day basis, though the Northern chief ultimately ruled them. Following the Hundred-Year War, the Northern tribes sent a lot of waterbenders and resources to the South to help them rebuild. The South grew prosperous over the years, and the North wanted to share in their bounty. They felt they were owed, but the South wasn't always willing to share what they believed was rightfully theirs. So tensions grew over the years. Chief Unalak still has some supporters in the South, but he is seen more as a figurehead nowadays um and that was uh michael's attempt at sort of setting the stage for how for the story they were going to tell with unalak but does that i i wanted to mention that because i thought maybe it didn't really jibe with what we were seeing here in north and south but i guess it kind of does i mean i i guess what we're seeing here is that um the South resents the North and uh, the North coming down and ostensibly trying to take their resources is obviously pissing people off. However, the, it's interesting that the perspective we get in North and South almost casts the Southern water tribe in the poorer light than the Northern. Do you, well, do you guys well, agree with that? I don't know if I agree that it puts it in a, in a more uh, negative light, but it does... I mean, I, I think it. It. I, I get. Let me back up. I'm going to say that no. What I'm going to say is that what it does is it. It. I, I think it. The the South is in a much more negative position, and mm-hmm. it's. It is. Ang makes a good point that after the Air Nomads, the Southern Water Tribe had it worst, and they are the after effects of a like colonializing nation wrecking something, and now they're left with a mix of. Um, economic um, dysfunction and resentment. And so, and then everyone is looking down on them and saying that in order to be better, you have to be more like us. So I I think that the resentment that comes out of that 
um, we get the worst negative side of it, whereas we get the best version of the Northern Water Tribe in um, Molina. Right. So I, I don't think it actually paints it in a more negative light. I just think we get the more honest total look at the at the situation in the South than we get of, say, the North and what the hell is actually going on there. Hey, remind me, because I literally, I, I legitimately can't remember, remind me what happened to Malik in this story. What was his ultimate fate? He got punched in the face and then vanished from the story. Oh, no. Actually, no, they, they actually did say that he left because the day that – so after he gets punched in the face, which was delightful, um, they – what's her – Millian is about to leave, and um, the volume ends – so she comes up and she says, um, he's leaving. The rest of the northern people are leaving. I'm going to leave with them. I just wanted to say goodbye to Dakota. And they're like, nope, get out. We don't want to – he's not going to talk to you. And then he calls her in. And then the volume ends there or pretty close after that. Um, and then in the next volume, she has stayed and is helping out. So they – and it seems like a little bit of time has passed because now the Toft um, metal benders have shown up yeah. and other things. So I, what, I think what had happened was – they mention that he's leaving, and then by the time we pick up the last volume, he has left. Okay. So he did. Just, he, did he did just disappear out of the story then. Yeah. yeah no, I, no, I think I'm with you guys on that. Okay. But he does. I, I mean, he just he gets punched in the face, and I think that Gene rightly realized that him getting punched in the face was the high water mark, <laughs> and moved on. Sorry. I don't know. I, I think the high water mark is the moment where. Uh, Gilak reveals that he's got his briefcase and he goes, my briefcase! Oh, Just geez. like everybody's favorite cabbage merchant. Uh, okay, so I have this, I have to go back to my therapy session now because when... when... <laughs> I didn't realize this podcast was that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul you, you never left. That's, you are still so there. So true. Okay, I'm sitting in the lobby waiting to go in for my session and uh there's a girl in the lobby. She recognizes the tattoos. It starts a conversation of Avatar and uh, some, and various people in the room got involved in this. So I had a conversation first about the kilt. People wanted to ask about the kilt, but then they were like, then we started talking about Avatar. And the girl was like, yeah, I didn't really watch much of Avatar. The only thing I remember about it was my cabbages. And everybody in the room, whether they had seen Avatar or not, thought that was hilarious. So then I go in and I'm talking to my, my doctor and she's explaining how her and her daughter are watching the show together and they're both loving it. And uh, she says her one of her daughter's favorite things about it is the Cabbages guy. I mean, to be fair, the Cabbages guy is great. <laughs> Picture this. Grace Zabriskie as the Cabbages guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That, uh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. Beautiful. I thought so. All right. Right now I'm flipping through here to see the scene where... Uh, you know Malik that scene in, the face. in I'm sorry Paul I must continue on about this you know Jesus. that scene in the Twin Peaks pilot where she gets the call that Laura has washed up on shore and there's just that yep. unbroken shot of her like wailing yep. and sobbing in agony for like 60 seconds imagine that but it's about cabbages <laughs> I That's think it's beautiful. Perfect. especially it's perfect. if especially if it happens in a phone call especially if she gets a phone call <laughs> And you just know that it's about something terrible happening to her cabbages. <laughs> the cabbages wash up on the, the shore of the, the northern South Pole. Uh, wrapped in plastic. <laughs> oh, 
Well, this is the best thing that's ever happened to this podcast. I just want you to know that, Paul. <laughs> All, All right. right. So I have a real, a real serious complaint about this at volume. Okay. Like, yeah. like maybe critical. I don't know. It, it, a lot of other stuff happened, so maybe it doesn't matter. But did it bother the two of you that Hakoda didn't die? A little bit. Yes. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm gonna agree with you on that. Because that stabbing looked like a death stab, and it had a it, real it, emotional impact. Like, I had an, a, a reaction to that panel, and mm-hmm. then two fucking pages later, he's alive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure where the story would have gone from there, because Katara, she's already dealing with the whole hasn't accepted the loss of her mother thing. But, uh, yeah, when that happened, I was, I was like, oh, damn, we just got real. And then... Uh, speaking of a page that could have been better served by being a double, pa- you know, a double page spread or whatever, the scene when she, when Katara fucking freaks out, says, "What did you do to him?" and and uh, captures Jalak in ice, that could have been a double page. That like that could have been a super powerful moment. But. Also, did anybody feel the same way about Melina's fall to her death? Like that didn't happen. Like I, 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 I didn't mind her being saved because it gave us the Katara as Iceman thing. Like, no. Right, right. I didn't yeah, mind that. I thought it was. I, I, I thought it was a little cheap. Uh, I, I thought it was a little bit of a get out of jail free card. Uh, having giving Jalak the, uh, the, um, oh God, what's his name from Beauty and the Beast? Oh, Gaston. Gaston, giving him the Gaston. Gaston. Death. Gaston? <laughs> Isn't that how it's pronounced? Gaston. There's there's a whole song oh. where they say Gaston like 50,000 times. <laughs> Anyways, just having him just having I'm him sorry, fall on, away. On, uh, it, on, on my copy, it's Gaston. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Well, he got the Disney villain death, not just Gaston, but yeah. um, Scar, Gaston, whatever the Oliver and Company villain was. Well, at least Scar got... <laughs> at least Scar got... Oh no, that wasn't Scar. They got trampled. That was the the that was Mufasa. They got trampled by the herd, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean Scar gets killed by the hyenas, but it's still basically like a fall death. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one way or another, they all just get Spoil- like, spoilers. Shackled. Spoilers for Lion King. Sorry. Yeah, all you twelve-year-olds out there who haven't seen the cartoon and are going to go see the live-action movie, sorry, Scar falls to his death. Um, <laughs> are there a lot of twelve-year-olds listening to this podcast right now? I hope God, not. I hope not. I really we probably not. shouldn't have said fuck so many times. <laughs> I had, I, I had that conversation with my we, therapist because <laughs> she all... was she was specifically talking about how nice it was that uh, she was she could share this with her daughter and I was like yeah you can't really share the podcast with your daughter though can you and uh, you know my uh, one of my uh, coworkers actually um, who's actually kind of a superior of mine bought my book for her like. 12 and 13 uh, our book sorry Oops. not just my book i Oops. got weirdly possessive um bought it for 12 and 13 year olds and i was like um just so you know it's it's about superheroes but i wouldn't really call it kid friendly yeah <laughs> i've never gotten a follow-up on that and that was like a year ago hmm. we're still on good terms okay well <sighs> okay back to uh back to north and south what else, what else do we have? Um, so, okay, so let's let's go back and talk artwork a little bit more because we had the the like um, the complaints a little bit about the 
the two page spreads and the mm-hmm. other things. But all right, let's let's go to the other side of the two page spread and that beautiful bridge shot. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that is like the epitome of a great two page spread, especially because it does the like image within an image thing going on in it. That is just a gorgeous yeah, shot. page page two ten and two eleven. It is that is one of the more effective ones in this particular book. Yeah. It's it. one of the best two page shots I think they've had in a lot of ways. I mean, let's not forget that the the single two page spread they had in the promise was that awesome uh Yes. Painted, like Japanese I, painted fight scene. Around. I said one of. Okay. I said one of because I remembered that one. That okay. is. That is <laughs> which, probably uh, still the which, best. Which one are we talking about right now? Page two, two ten and two eleven. Yeah. When I they, just. I, oh yes, yes. I, I love this partially because it for, it does something formally different from what comics will usually do, um, like having the the superimposition of the people reacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the thing in the background, but also you can see them on the bridge, on the cliffside, in the background. Yeah, is um, it's it's bold. It's the kind of thing that I wish comics would do more of, like breaking, having to like have lines around things to show you when something is different. Like I really like that this breaks that very explicitly. I know. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. And I love that in the annotation, Gene says that he couldn't figure out how to portray the emotion in this scene. And then th- this was all Guri Hero's solution. Yeah. Although, although I love that. Here's here's the nerd time for you. Go and compare what's going on on the bridge to the. I mean, going on on the cliff to them, and they're in a different placement order. Nothing matches up. Just <laughs> I mean, I don't care about that, but it's really amazing. Uh, Egg's cloak is blowing. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, and oh, damn. And, and Sokka are in completely different positions. They're on opposite sides. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Oh well. oh, well. It's the emotional. This is the emotional they're, they're, superimposition. They're, 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 yeah, exactly. This is all just um, like artistic license. Of, it's like, uh, it's like that scene in Twin Peaks when um, Cooper's oh, head was superimposed over the camera, over the clock for like that entire scene. It's like. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. Um, all right. Flip, flip back one page uh, to page 209 because there's a, a thing we see Zuko do that I feel like. I feel like I've always known that firebenders could do this, but as I was as I was kind of writing my notes, I couldn't remember if we'd ever seen it done. Have we ever seen a firebender just like extinguish someone else's fire like this? I feel like we have, but to yeah, be honest, yeah. I can't remember it. Like it didn't it didn't surprise me in any way that I would have been like, oh, that didn't, I didn't know that, which makes me think I had seen it, but maybe I just I don't know drew that line in my head as a possibility. Yeah. Anyways, I like it uh, that, you know, I, I feel like that is a whole other opens up a whole other avenue of things that firebenders could do. Like when we reach the point and may, and, and are we when we reach the point in the world of Avatar where we've got uh, like internal combustion engines, then shouldn't firebenders be able to shut that shit down? So actually, uh, actually. I don't think so because internal combustion engines aren't like one continuous flame. They're constantly making sparks. Yeah, good point. Good point. Burning things. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'll allow it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, otherwise, art-wise, I, I talk about the art stuff. I, it, the other side of this not having a lot of epic stuff, and, and Paul, maybe you just disagree because you were a little grouchier, but I, I'm curious also <laughs> for Arlo's point of view on this. I feel character-wise – 
this had some of the best character art of the run. I thought the like expressions, the like postures, overall the like emotionality of the character work, I thought was really strong in this book. I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I I don't I don't know if I agree. I really don't. I just I I was left with an overwhelming sense of this felt toned down. Of course, I just flipped to a page and I'm like, oh, I, I like the facial expressions on that page. So, I mean, again, you're right. Maybe I was just, maybe I'm just in a pissy mood. I don't know when I read this, but it, it wasn't as dynamic, at least in places, as I wish it would have been. Oh, I, I am flipping to the the fed, the carnival or whatever. And that reminded me, did anybody else? Cause I did. Did anybody else take note of all of the little uh, carnival prizes that Toph wins? Yes. I, I, I did look at the time. There was like a Momo, I think. Um, well, Mo- but... Momo actually has a little Momo doll. <laughs> what page is this? Hold on. What page is it again? One Oh eight is where you can see that one best. Although if you flip to uh, page 227 so after the final page of the actual comic where gene uh writes his farewell letter momo with the little stuffed momo is actually the yeah cut out art right there so it's okay so there's a a a badger mole yep let's see i've got uh what i managed to see was a badger mole an otter penguin a cloud leopard caribou and a pentapus so, so there's a missing thing in here that I have to say I'm disappointed. Like, okay, it doesn't. This is a, a stupid disappointment. This is a nerd disappointment, and, and it doesn't matter. But I feel bad. There's no like fire ferret in there. right. There, there <laughs> okay, is. Okay, but it's not just me. Right. There, there is on the next page. Um, like in the actual, uh, on the shelf, there's a, a polar bear dog, a stuffed polar bear dog, and oh, yeah. most adorably, there's a little uh, plush. Uh, angified kaiju yes oh my gosh i missed that that's that's beautiful okay that's beautiful and there is a polar bear dog that's that's that helps oh obviously i'm 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 expressing my allegiance as to which animal companion is is who i like more (laughs) the fire ferret apparently yeah Yeah. what's his name now i can't remember his name i like blanked on all the animal names are like mushing up in my head right now pabu Pabu, I was like, it's not Paku. Paku is the, the <laughs> waterbender master. What, what was the guy's name? <laughs> Pabu. I do, the, I do like the fact that uh, uh, Master Paku has come down here and is training, or trying at least, to train um, a couple of girls in waterbending, which is just a nice... Uh, again, it, it's... It, it just puts an interesting sort of spin on everything where you want you want the Southern water tribe to kind of be the, the protagonists of the story, but we're seeing, except for Malik, what we're seeing are a lot of Southern water tribe people on their worst behavior and Northern water tribe people kind of showing how, how well behaved they are. Like Paku was a complete and utter cock in on the show. uh, But you know, he was, he was roundly taught a lesson by Katara and the, the team avatar and now he goes out and trains girls i you know i actually i am gonna if i this isn't listed in here but i'm gonna guess that a lot of what you're describing was totally intentional by Uh gene Mm -hmm. that that the 
the nature of the conflict means that the Southern Water Tribe's position makes a lot of sense. Like, we understand it. But it's complicated by the fact that Hakoda is making a lot of very clear-eyed decisions about what is best for his people. And it involves change that he can control, basically, that him and his people can control. And I mean, even to the point where Hakoda knew what the initial intent was. There was never uh, – he actually didn't have any surprise. Uh, Melina had told him right. what the initial plan was. And I think that says a lot about what's going on in the story, that um, Hakoda is not doing something because he's been bamboozled into it. He is making the best decision he thinks he can for his people, and it involves, you know, rebuilding them to something that is that is different. And everyone reads what he's doing is like giving himself over to the Northern Water Tribe, and it's understandable given where everything is. But I think that the nature of where the characters' positions are, I, I think going back, to, I think is really intentional to understanding that this conflict isn't easy. Like I think Gene is making it really clear how not easy he finds this idea in this course of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been a fan of the, the complexity and the, the seeming, uh, dichotomy in the, the stories and characters throughout the entire run of the series. So I, I don't know why I'm struggling so much with this one, but I, I understand everything you're saying. And I, I agree with you. I just, I obviously need to reread the book. I need to wipe my mind clean and just go in fresh and read the book again. But, um, one interesting little thing I wanted to call out. This might be my last quote-unquote profound thought on this book, maybe. On page 222, when Katara, uh, at her mother's grave, when she's talking to uh, the two little girls, whose names were Sura and Siku, um, and she's explaining to them... Um, damn it. Where'd it go? I have my note. She's explaining to them, uh, she says, they came to wipe southern-style waterbending off the face of the earth, and I was the South Pole's last waterbender. So here's a, here's a realization that I kind of had, and I want to see what you guys think about it. Um, if, in some respects, southern-style waterbending actually has been wiped off the face of the earth because Katara was the last waterbender in the South Pole. Um, she... She was self-taught. She self-taught herself, you know, some aspects of what I guess is her native style. I don't think they ever tell us what was on the waterbending scroll. I don't think they ever specify if it was a southern or northern style or whatever. But most of her actual training, except for on-the-job training kind of stuff, which, again, is her self-taught, most of her actual training came from Master Paku, who is clearly a northern-style waterbender. Damn. So you're saying she's already, like been culturally like corrupted yes so she so she doesn't even realize right here what Sokka has been telling her this whole book is look we need to this is what the world is going to be going forward we need to kind of get with the times and accept the fact that we're gonna you know we need to we need to modernize or whatever we need to let go we don't know what we were like a hundred years ago this is us today and she is talking about preserving the southern style waterbending and that you know, she can now create, presumably she sort of now establishes the new Southern water style, but what it, what she's thinking of as the Southern water style probably has already been wiped out. Well, she, I mean, she did know waterbending. She before. knew a little, like she could, lev- she levitated that fl- fish up out of the water, but she didn't like her, her 
progress in the series was her gradually learning. That's why she was so excited to get that waterbending scroll, as she could finally, this is actual waterbending instead of just me messing around with water. Yeah, but, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's a really good, it's a really good point. I, I think, yeah. So yeah. those little girls that are, that are presumably going to be trained by Master Paku and, and maybe Katara now, um, they're, I guess they're probably not going to be taught what, in the olden days, a hundred years ago, would have been the traditional Southern water style. They're going to be trained Katara style. Yeah. I don't. I True. have no idea what that means, but I just thought that was an interesting <laughs> uh, thought that popped into my head. So. So Katara is actually going to come to define Southern style waterbending. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to be the the um, the Bruce Lee of. Southern waterbending. <laughs> That's this is true. And actually, to be honest, she is basically the like conglomeration of an, a million really amazing waterbending techniques. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Bruce Lee could also stop the rain, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I think so. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he could bloodbend. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. It really, just I mean, like to like go back to that note that Katara is maybe the most terrifying character in all of Avatar. She certainly Avatar. could be. Yes, she could be. Absolutely. She would have, she would have housed all those moronic <laughs> bloodbenders in Korra. Yeah. God, there's something I really wish that we could have gotten. I mean, she'd aged out of it, I guess at that point, by the time we were watching Korra, but I just wish that there had been an opportunity to see. I wish Katara, I wish old Granny Katara had gotten more to do on the show, and I wish we could have seen her take on a bloodbender or something. So you were thinking, if you, what, you, what we really wanted here was like like the Yoda versus Dooku scene, but like Katara and Amon, just like yes. Katara hobbles out, puts down her cane, oh my and God. bloodbends him into the wall. Oh my God, that would have been great. <laughs> then we really would have had zombie Amon. So okay, since we've we've had our like complicated, maybe possibly um, negative discussions on stuff, I still like this book a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 talk in detail about that beautiful last panel. We've mentioned okay. it a couple of times, okay. but but they all get their food. Which first of all, the panel leading into it is wonderful. I know we make fun of her making northern food, but it's a wonderful opening with the food. That last panel is perfection. It is great. Oh, absolutely. That is a wonderful way to go out. I, I kind of made the joke that it's the the uh, dining room table from Serenity because so much of that show, they talked about the, the feeling of family. Anytime they, they could get together and sit around and eat food, just made it feel like a family. So It felt kind of appropriate um, reaching this image right before uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, a Norman Rockwell-esque uh so let's Image. see. So let's see. Which of these foods is most like what I'm going to have for Thanksgiving? Braised <laughs> uh, turtle duck. Yeah, probably. Yep. Yep. I want I want Zuko's extra spicy fire noodles, by the way. Uh, they that would, sounds good. They would murder me. I can't do spicy food anymore, but I would have to try them. So Can I Okay, one last really depressing thought. <laughs> First of all, Earth King Kue, can we all just say that no matter how terrible the Earth Queen was, the one that Zaheer like sucked the lungs out of, no matter how terrible she was, at I don't, not not that she was better than Kuei, but 
he is really useless. Earth he King. really is. And, and when he's not being useless, he is, you know, being kind of, uh, I don't know, is, is, is racist the right word I mean, towards the ignorant the, the certainly. Southerners? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, it is a beautiful final panel, Eric. I don't mean to take anything away from it, but really all I can think about now looking at it is the information that we get in Korra about the ultimate fate of Bosco. Well, I guess it's appropriate because there is Bosco and food. Uh, that's what that's that's where <laughs> I wasn't going to spell it out, but there it is. Yep. So some somebody had Bosco for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I still can't believe that that's the ultimate fate of Bosco. That is terrible. Terrible. Sad. Does, does anything define the difference between Korra and Avatar more than Avatar's comic ending with Bosco getting hugged by Kui and Korra dropping casually that Bosco got eaten? By the Earth Queen. God, so terrible. She deserved to have the air ripped out of her lungs. <sighs> Awful. I, yeah. But yeah, no, Kui's useless. Ever, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Earth, the Earth Kingdom is terrible. Really, <laughs> there's nothing good about the Earth Kingdom. And everything that... It's too bad that the destruction of it happened in a way that produced the ultimate fascist in Kubira. But the Earth Kingdom was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. Well, I mean, to be fair, it was like eight times the size of anything else in the entire world. So it had plenty of room for terrible things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, I think Bossing Se was the size of the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, at so. least, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, unless we have anything else specific to say about this story, which I'm fine with, do we have anything else we want to say? Um, I don't think so. Okay. That was a way more mixed conversation than I was expecting I, to I have know. about it. I know, yeah, and me I, too. I feel bad about it. I, I'm sorry, guys, that I had to be the negative one. I, I didn't. I, I do want to say that I, I'm the Arlo in this episode because I did nothing but nitpick it and talk and say, you know, trash talk it. But I really did like it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I am very sad that it's the the final Gene Luen Yang, and Guru Hero that we're gonna get. Until their triumphant return 10 years from now. I don't know. But uh, anyways, I said a lot of negative stuff, but I did enjoy the book. So, um, uh, Oh, do we want to rank them? Arlo, I know you love ranking stuff. Do we want to rank oh, the, fi the five books? Uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know if I feel qualified to rank them. having not read them, but I will. I will participate in ranking. Them. Just give okay. me, give me, give me a quick second here to, to um, write them down. Um, all right. Um, so, do we want to go from from least favorite to favorite, or favorite to least favorite? I, I was going to go favorite to least favorite. Okay, so shit. I guess I would probably agree with you, Paul. That again, I, I like Eric. I've not reread them, but I would say the promise is number one. Um, then I would go with. Hmm. I I have mine ready if you want me to go. Oh yeah, yeah, Eric, Eric go first. All right. So I'm I'm really struggling on this. I put the search as number one, although I think if I reread them, the promise probably would go to the top. But the promise has just the worst cover art. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not going to search. Anyways, I also like the search because I like the the um, the material on it. But anyway, search number one, promise, smoke and shadow, north and south, the rift. 
Do you want me to go, Arlo? You still working? No, no I'll go. Uh, so I would go. Uh, number one is the promise. Number two is the search. Uh, number. Th- so number three and four is kind of a toss-up for me. I don't know. Uh, right now, I'm going to say number three is North and South. Number four is Smoke and Shadow. Number five is the Rift. Okay, this is fascinating because none of us are going to have the same thing. I would go the Promise, Smoke and Shadow, the Search, the Rift, North and South. Interesting. So you actually put you like Smoke and Shadow more than the Search. That's maybe the most surprising thing. I did, I, and yeah, I don't know. They're they're both Azula things. So Smoke and Shadow won out over North and South for me primarily because of Azula. Um, you know, one of the one of the greatest images in the entire series, I think, uh, came from the search. I just remembered this because I was flipping through them uh, earlier, and that was uh, when Zuko redirected Azula's lightning, and we got that. Does anybody remember this? And we got that like internal look at the lightning as it flowed through his body, and he channeled it out his other hand. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gorgeous, so gorgeous. Anyways, so, so you know what my biggest takeaway from reading this book was? Hmm. I really miss Korra, and I love Avatar. But like, <laughs> every, I, going back to the Avatar crew, I love them. I read it. I'm enjoying it. I get to the end, and I'm like, I'm happy. And then I think the like, it makes my brain naturally go to Korra, and I think, oh my god, I want more Korra because I love Korra so much. Okay, well let's uh, let's bridge. Avatar and Korra here, and I'm going to, like I promised at the top of the show, I'll, I'll mention who the new creative team is, because you guys haven't heard, unless you've looked it up since then. Um, they announced that the new creative team, uh, they said it will be next year. They haven't given us any more details on what the story is or what when it's coming out, but they've said in 2018, the new creative team will be writer Faith Aaron Hicks, oh. which is unquestionably the most perfect new voice that they could have, if they're going to replace Gene Lu and Yang, yes, please make it faith. Aaron Hicks. I'm hundred percent down with that. Uh, and the new artist is uh, someone named Peter Wartman, who I wasn't familiar with before, but um, I can, I can give you guys a link to the, the entertainment weekly article that broke the story. It shows some of his, uh, his early designs and samples for the characters uh, and his artwork looks great. And I have since read, he does, um, he does a web or he did a web comic called over the wall, which has since been actually published. I've read that book and, uh, he's got the sequel to it, which is called Stonebreaker, which is still online only. It hasn't been published, but, um, having, having read those, his artwork is fantastic. So I think I'm excited for this team to come in, especially faith, Aaron Hicks. Um, who, if anyone out there has not read uh, the Nameless City and the Stone Heart, uh, the third which I book, have not, uh, it it's great. It's very, very. It's Faith Aaron Hooks, Faith Aaron Hicks, basically writing her version of Avatar. So, um, I think everyone needs to check that out. The third book of that is supposed to come out next year. But anyways, so so this is Avatar they're taking over. Yes, yes, they are taking over for Avatar: The Last Airbender. The Korra is going to continue with DiMartino writing and uh, Irene Co as the artist, at least for that first volume, at least for the, the three books of turf war, I haven't heard anything about whether that's going to continue and if it's going to be the same team or not. But anyway, so now what I want to ask now, knowing who the new creative team is, 
I want to I want us to talk about what we would like to see next. Now that the the Gene and Gurhiru era is over, what do we want to see the Avatar of the Last Airbender comics do from here? I want what you said and what we're not going to get. I mean, we're not going to get it as much as I think either of us want, Paul, which is I want older versions of the characters, not necessarily adults. I'm not looking for them. Yeah. I'm not looking for old Aang, but I I am ready to jump five years ahead. Yeah, I want I want like late teens, 20 something Aang gang. Yeah, I, I don't really care what the story is, but I want to continue this idea of the transition of the world to the world of Korra. Mm-hmm. And there, I just think that there's only so many more stories you can tell with Aang at this age and the Avatar at this level of development. And I think it's time to move a little bit ahead. Yeah. Oh. I am right there with you guys. I, I want to see the characters and the story progress. I mean, we need to see sort of the next stage of Republic City, how it goes from Yu Dao. I'd kind of like to see more of the development of that. Like, I want to see, I want to see an older Aang and Katara as they start to build their family, maybe, and what that's like. I want to, I want to, I really want to see what happens to Sokka. I want to watch him try and become a diplomat or whatever <laughs> that we know he becomes, but we don't know what the hell happens to him. Uh, I also want to see him and Suki. God damn it. I don't, I, yeah. I, oh, I want those two. Um, I need to see Toph creating the metal bending police. Come on. We need the early years of Toph creating the police force. Yeah, that would rule. Also, I, I mean, also, I... also Toph traveling the world, getting her freak on with a bunch of different guys. <laughs> I have to imagine, except for that last one, we have to get these stories at some point, but they, I, you know, it, it may be quite a ways off before we actually get just, to them. I just, I want them to get to it before they run out of steam and decide that they're just not going to do it. And I feel like with, with Gene and Gurihiro stepping down and, and even though I wasn't as happy with it as you guys were, North and South is a, is a final statement on this sort of era of the comics. I feel like this is a great time for them to jump ahead and start telling different types of stories. But if you, if you Google it, I mean, you can see the character designs that Warden yes. is using yeah. and they're, they're not aged up at all. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It, it, really the biggest thing is, is that, I don't know how many adventures did Aang have at 16? Right is we start we actually are so with my worry is that we're going to be getting into the like the Buffy comics um, problem here mm-hmm. of at a certain point you just start it, it starts straining credulity that these are like the stories that we're continuing to get um, and yeah I think there's just so much out there into the world that we can tell and I don't know you jump a year or two ahead maybe that's enough you know what I mean like if if it's if if they are at least progressing, I guess that's what I what I want is to jump five years ahead. Yes. What I need is for the characters and the world to keep progressing. So as long as this, the, if the clock freezes, we have a problem, and that's what I don't want to see happen. Yeah. Man, I'm I'm so depressed thinking that this won't happen. I really want to see some forward progress. Anyways, I also what I well, I mean, it doesn't matter. What I really want is Korosami. So whatever happens in the Avatar verse is <laughs> is good. But yeah, yeah. All right. So um, all right. Unless you guys want to oh. take. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, go ahead. Go. No, say. Go uh, I was going to say unless you guys want to take one more stab at what sort of bender would would you be. 
um, since I don't I don't know if we've done that in a while. Did we do that on our rap party? We probably did. We did. We did. We did. All right. We well, did. never mind. Who cares? Um, I I will point out though. Um, I found a comic that Faith Aaron Hicks did five years ago. Um, Tor.com asked her to do a comic on Avatar and the Legend of Korra, and uh, it's so it's it's a comic about her being asked to do it and like freaking out. And in it, she says, Avatar The Last Airbender is the best animated show of the last 30 years. Yes, better than He-Man. <laughs> her, wow. quote, her quote from the Entertainment Weekly thing, she says, Avatar The Last Airbender is one of my favorite things in the world. I'm totally not kidding. I remember watching the series finale over 10 years ago when I was a struggling animator, wishing I could work on a show that was even 10% as thoughtful and compelling as Avatar. I was so in love with the world and characters. Even now, there's nothing that has filled my heart quite like Avatar, and I'm so honored to contribute to the real thing. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's exciting. So are we going to talk about what we're going to do next? We had, we were going to yes. hash this out. Yes. So okay. so here we go. Uh, um, so we're all wondering what the hell comes next. So the unsurprising truth, perhaps, if any, if you're a regular listener of the show, is we don't have a clue <laughs> what comes next. We don't know. Uh, we've already mentioned that uh, you know the old the old creative team is out, new creative team is coming in, um, but there's no other information available on when any of that is going to start. So. Uh, in the meantime, we've got the Legend of Korra stuff, uh, which has just started being published. Uh, mentioned this at the top of the show. Only the first volume, the first of the three volumes of Turf Wars is out at this time. Um, what we need to decide is if we're going to continue to follow the format that we've set up at this point, which is we wait for all three volumes of, of each storyline to be collected in these and I, I'm going on faith that that's going to happen with Legend of Korra. They haven't said otherwise, but they also haven't specifically said that that's going to happen. That Turf War, all three volumes come out, and then they collect it in the hardcover library edition. If we wait for that, we're looking at probably... I mean, if it continues at this pace, uh, that's going to leave us waiting maybe up to a year before we have another episode of this podcast, another library edition of one of these books to do. And then when you take the next avatar thing into consideration, let's, let's, let's say that the, whatever the new avatar comic is, is going to start publishing. I don't know, let's say spring of next year. They, the volumes tend to come out two or three months apart. And then it's anywhere from three to six months after that, before they're collected. I mean, you're looking at, again, you're looking at, a year and a half, maybe 18 months from now before we have the, the next library edition of the avatar book. So our dilemma is, do we wait for all that stuff and just put a new episode of the avatar returns podcast out every, every 18 months or whatever, or do we change it up and start doing episodes where we talk about each of the, the little digest volumes as they come out? I had a very clear feeling when this started, which was that we should wait for the library editions because I love wait, I love them. I love the, the liner notes. I love all the information on them. But talking about this again put me on the fence. And so I have a feeling on this, which is I would love to just do, go do them as they come out on one condition. Okay. I get to be the noob. <laughs> That's your condition. You get to be that's, the noob. Yeah, that's the that's the condition. I really have barely been the noob this entire time. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's my condition. I want I want the roles to reverse. 
on this. So what does that mean? That um... <laughs> well, I get okay. to go first. I get to go first and give my opinion. I've never. I have like this no run of being able to say, Eric, what was your impression? Okay. This? I mean, that's fair. Here's a suggestion that just popped into my head this very second. What if? I can't believe I'm about to say this. What if we were to, we would do episodes on each of the, the mini volumes and we would trade off being the host? No, I don't want to be the host. You're good at it. I don't oh, know if Arlo okay. wants to be the host, but I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, you're good, Paul. <laughs> I think we could actually trade off on being the noob, though. That's actually a good idea. But you can't be the noob on number one because you've already read I've it. I've already read it, yeah, yeah. So I get to be the noob on number one. I'm the number one noob. If we go this way, Arlo, I don't You're know the if you're number one noob. Arlo, I want your opinion on this. I apologize. I'm, I'm, t- I, I'm, but I actually, in all honesty, I don't want to wait a year to talk about this stuff. So yeah. I actually, I'm changing my, my view based on that. I mean, the, the only reservation I have is that after spending like thirty to forty dollars overall on the three volumes. I don't know if Amber would then let me spend like 30 to $40 on the hardcover edition, but that's a selfish concern. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for doing them as they come out. I mean, you know, if that became a problem, maybe you'd get the occasional gift in the mail. Oh, come now. But I don't know. We'll see. So, yeah, I mean, I echo the, the hesitancy because I also like uh, doing it. I I didn't didn't talk about this during the show, but I did kind of have some notes on the 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 efficiency or whatever of the footnotes. We put so much stock in these library editions, primarily because we talk about the fact that they've got the sidebars, the the sort of the 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 footnotes or whatever, which initially we all thought were super fascinating. But I feel like it's kind of been diminishing returns uh, as this yeah. goes. Uh, for example, uh, so I went through and I counted. <laughs> Each, each one of these books features 216 story pages. Uh, the Promise had 58 pages uh, with footnotes. The Search had 51. The Rift had 36. Smoke and Shadow had 60. North and South had 65. That's not an awful lot of footnotes. And the problem with the footnotes is they're, they're becoming less and less interesting. <laughs> They, they, I, I feel like. they have gotten less interesting, but I also will say I would have had no idea this was ending if not. For right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, it'll be new, a new team doing the footnotes. So I n- not to knock Gurihiru, but like their their footnotes were very rarely like informative. I, I just don't think they really knew what they were supposed to say in footnotes or whatever. So maybe a new creative team, they'll bring more to the footnotes. But I mean, I, I mean. For Cora, we'd be talking about Michael Dante DiMartino's right. footnotes, right. which yeah. are all over. And and Irene Co seems like she would be an ace sarcastic footnoter. Yes, in probably, my opinion. probably. But, also, I mean, uh, the the other selling point for these uh, library editions is they're oversized, and the the art is, um, I think it I think it's uh, ten or fifteen percent larger than the little digests. Um, now, if you got rid of the footnotes, you could actually make the, you could fill the page up with this art, which would make it probably 40% larger than, but anyways, this oversized art is much, uh, it's much crisper. I, I just think it's a gorgeous format. So even without uh, the bonus material, I think these books are worth it. Yeah. Anyways. So, so I, here, here's the, here's the compromise on the, on the footnotes piece. Why don't we say this after whatever 
the next normal like issue release episode we do if a library edition came out in between the last episode and that other episode we can talk about the things we learned from the library edition notes when it comes out okay so we can like revisit it and see if we learned anything interesting at that point okay yeah no i'm i'm down with that so what i think i'm hearing is we're going to we're going to start doing episodes probably not two hour long episodes like this we're going to maybe do a little more slightly controlled version of a tarp episode uh dealing with each of the individual volumes that comes out yes what you're yeah. hearing is me clicking on buy turf wars volume one <laughs> okay <laughs> okay yes because that is out now so here here's the next question before we let the poor long-suffering listeners go is that the next thing we're going to do is the first volume of cora what other next thing would there be? Uh, waiting for the next Avatar, I guess. But no, Cor, are you? Did you hear me before? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, it became self-evident as I was framing the question. So yes, the next thing we're going to do then will be uh, Volume One of Turf Wars. Um, I'm not even going to try and make us uh, settle on a date now. So we will find a way of notifying our, our listeners either on the website or, or on social media. We'll let people know when we decide uh, when we're going to record that episode. We'll make sure um, to, to make it available to everybody. But yeah, so sounds like the next thing we do will be the first third, at least, of Turf Wars. Oh, Cora's coming back. That's right. You, more Cora. You, you suckered me into this because Cora was next. I couldn't wait a year for Cora. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Damn, that was a lot of stuff. Um, thank you, everybody, for, for sticking around with us, for coming back, for rejoining us six months later or 25 years later, depending on how this played. Um, uh, even in our dramatically reduced recording schedule uh, since completing the main series, we've continued to get feedback from listeners. Uh, all of it fantastic. I We've already run long, so I'm not going to go track down all the email, but you know who you are. Um, I've responded to everybody who's emailed us. Thank you so much. Um, we're extremely grateful to each and every one of you uh, who tunes in. We're especially humbled by those who've told us that you're using this silly little podcast of ours as a means of getting new fans into the world of Avatar and Korra. Um, so please continue to do that, and please let us know how that works. If... if um, if you're using this podcast in some way as an excuse to make someone watch Cora, like for example, your therapist, um, please write to us uh, and let us know. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes on the website, theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode, no matter how many months are between them. Uh, while you're there, please be a hero and uh, rate us or write us a review. Uh, that really helps spread the word. Uh, if you'd like to contact us to let us know how your uh, adventure in in yeah, forcing people to watch the show goes when you get your therapist to watch the show because of this podcast, you please send your correspondence to monkey Yahtzee at, uh, nobody has ever done that. By the way, we've never gotten a single <laughs> email where they say, hello, monkey Yahtzee, uh, at T a R podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and of course you can always find us on social media, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash T a R podcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt 1013. Eric is at salon. That's S a a L O N. And Arlo is at unplugged crazy. So brand new Cora coming up 
at some point next. Uh, we'll let you know when. Until then, please remember, the right kind of love, the kind that's real, that sacrifices, that kind of love doesn't blind you. It actually helps you see.